see you here and uh, I was standing at the back there and I think when Matt said are we looking at Ephesians chapter 1 and said again yep again here we go it is one of those passages I think we've got to preach on about six or seven times um, in a row anyway we'll uh, let's see how we go um, let me there's a heading for you sovereign grace part 2 we'll focus particularly on verses 7 to 14 but let me let me pray Oh, Father, this, this passage is beyond rich. It's almost beyond depth. It gives us something of a glimpse of the, of the, of the height and the depth and the width and the length of your, of your love for your people. And if we could just taste some of that, if we could just, just know some of that a little bit more this morning. Um, we would be grateful and our hearts would be encouraged. And I ask that you would preach your mercy and your grace through me as we head towards uh, celebrating at your table this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me start by asking you a question. How well do you do with uncertainty? How well do you do with uncertainty? And the Bible, particularly in the book of Proverbs, encourages us not to be too certain about things, to be too certain about tomorrow. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. So would you, are you somebody that prefers certainty about things or uncertainty? Anybody that really prefers uncertainty to certainty? Put up your hand. Potential. You're a liar. You know that. <laughs> although, uh, although the sun comes up every morning, although gravity is there every day, we certainly live in a world that is in a great bubble of uncertainty. Now, some uncertainty is just not that important, is it? I mean, uncertain whether the eagles beat the dockers, it's just not that important, is it? It's a certainty. Okay. Uh, uncertainty around the outcome of sporting events is just really not that important, is it? No. Recently, Simon and Catherine went through an excruciating period of uncertainty as they waited for test results on little Evie's kidney and the tumor that she had. But sometimes the results are not as good as they were for Evie. You go for a job interview and that uncertainty as you wait to know whether you've got the job or not. You may have an uncertainty about whether you can meet your financial obligations every month. There's an uncertainty sometimes. Is your marriage going to hold? Are your relationships going to hold? You're a businessman, you're running a business, and there's uncertainty about whether your business plans are going to succeed. As I stand before you this morning, I am uncertain of whether I will get onto a flight tonight to fly to the Gold Coast for a bit of a break with my son, who has just turned 18. 
Perth has been in suspense all week. There's been an uncertainty whether our great supreme commander, Mark McGowan, is going to plunge everything into lockdown at any moment. But you may be someone here this morning and you're uncertain whether you're going to get better or you're uncertain about whether someone you love is going to get better. Things are always changing like shifting shadows. But have a look at James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. There are so many things that we are uncertain about, but we don't need to be uncertain about who God is. And we don't need to be uncertain this morning about what God is doing. And we don't need to be uncertain this morning about our place in God's plan. And we don't need to be uncertain this morning about where this world is going and where it will end. God does not deal in uncertainty. God does not deal in risk. God does not roll the dice. God does not say, well, let's just see how it all pans out like we do. With God, there's no plan B, C, D, E, or whatever. There's no backup plan with God. There's no contingency plans with God. There is one line, there is one way, there is one purpose, there is one plan. God does not trade on the stock market. There are no maybes with God. And if you've got the passage, let me show you the certainty of God. Have a look at it in these phrases in chapter 1, verse 1. By the will of God. 1, 5. In accordance with His pleasure and will. 1, 9. According to His good pleasure. 1, 11. According to the plan of Him. Verse 11 again. In conformity with the purpose of His will. We need to know that God's plan is certain and will always be executed. Have you noticed, if you watch any TV, that we are often pelted by betting company advertisements? Have you noticed that? They seem to just ramped up. People luring us, enticing us to bet on things, to waste your money on uncertainties. Man, people getting mega rich on your uncertainty. But God's plan will always be executed. So that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What's next? Thy will be done. When we pray that, we are praying in the certainty that God's will will be done every time. Now have a look at it again in the passage in verse 11. Particularly the second half. According to to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Is that not an incredible truth to know that God works out absolutely everything in conformity with His will? Now ask the question, so what's the plan? What exactly is God doing? Do you know what God is doing? Do you know what God's plan is? We should know because we have been told. Look at the passage again in verse 9. 
He has he made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ. God has made known His plan to us. He has made known to us exactly where we are in this plan. Do you know what it is? Do you know the plan of God? Well, I'm going to show it to you. And then I'm going to unpack it for you in the passage. Here it comes. Let me give you a very simple uh, definition. And there it is at the bottom. Number one, God's plan is the redemption of His people. That is what God is doing. That's what He's executing. That's what He's bringing to pass. You've got your Bible. Look at the passage. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 14. And you will see the word that is repeated. It is the word redemption. In Him we have redemption. Go down to verse 14. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession. God's plan is the redemption of His people. And let me first explain what exactly that word means. Redemption is one of those Christian words that can be bandied around a lot, but we're not always sure exactly what it means. Now, when the world uses the word redemption, it usually carries the connotation of someone that's redeeming themselves. You've heard the expression, haven't you? Someone's on the road to redemption. And what that usually means is that person is on a road where they're no longer doing what they used to be doing. They, they're turning, they're changing their ways. And so you've got the drug dealer, the murderer, the violent offender. They're on the path to redemption because they're no longer seeking to do that which they did before. But biblical redemption is always of grace. Have a look at the passage again. Look how many times the word is used. Redemption is to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 7, it's in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Verse 14, it is to the praise of His glory. The redemption of God's children is all of the Father through Christ, in Christ, by the Holy Spirit. Which means when it comes to redemption, all the glory, all the praise... All the credit is to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Biblical redemption is never self-redemption. Never. It is Christ-redemption. It is never anything that you ever do. It is always what has been done for us in Christ. But when you look at that word redemption in verse 7, verse 14, what you need to hear is the language of redemption in the Old Testament Exodus. Redemption is a word that has been infused with Israel's rescue from Egypt. So let me give you this definition. Redemption is the liberation from slavery upon the payment of a price. Redemption is the liberation from slavery upon the payment of a price. That's God's plan. That's what He's doing. 
God's redemption of his people from slavery at the payment of, his, of a price. And the, the greatest picture in the Old Testament of liberation from slavery at the payment of a price is when God's people were rescued from the ruthless hands of the Egyptians. You might remember the, the, the Israelites, they groaned under oppression for over 430 years. They were under the oppressive hand of Pharaoh until one day, by the blood of the Lamb smeared on the doorposts, God spared them as the angel of death passed over and every Egyptian firstborn was killed. And Israel was set free from the tyrannical slavery of Pharaoh. The cost of liberation was the blood of the Lamb and every firstborn in Egypt. Preparing us for the day when God would fuse the lamb and the firstborn into one who would be slaughtered on a cross to set his people free from the tyranny and the slavery of sin. There is a cost for everything in this world. There is a cost for everything that heaven offers. We pay for the food that we eat. We pay for the water that we drink. We pay for the clothes that we wear. We pay for the electricity that we consume. The cost of, of success is hard work. Some people sacrifice family in the pursuit of success. The price paid, the cost paid by the Father to set His children free was the firstborn Lamb of God his Son, Jesus Christ. Have a look at it in verse 7 again. In Him, in Him, in Christ, we have the redemption through His blood. His death. His death was the ransom price. It was the redemption price. It was the cost paid by the Father to set us free from the domination and the damnation of sin. We consider them heroes, don't we? Who sacrifice their lives for others. It was just a couple of weeks ago that we had our annual Anzac here in Australia and, and we remember the price that was paid for Australians to now enjoy the freedoms that we now have. The cost was high. The price was immense. It cost the lives of men and women. Gallipoli was costly. But nothing compared to the cost the Father paid for our redemption. The firstborn Lamb of God. And have a look at verse 7 again. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. Not too long from now, we're going to enjoy the Lord's table again. And what I'm wanting you to do this morning, us to do, is I want us to contemplate again the cost, the costliness of our forgiveness. Redemption is not free. Redemption is not free. 
It's just that you didn't have to pay for it. In Hebrews it says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4, it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And all that blood, all that blood spilt in the Old Testament, all the blood of animals at the altar, pointing forward in the words of 1 Peter 1.19 to the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So let me deepen our understanding or our definition of redemption like this. Redemption is the Father's plan to liberate His children from slavery of sin upon the payment of the death of His precious Son to give us forgiveness of sins. Now, I want to give you three aspects from the passage on this redemption. Here's the first one. Redemption is past. Redemption is past. Look at verse 4 and 5. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. The Apostle Paul wants us to know the Apostle Paul wants the children of God to know that this redemption that was bought for you by Christ was something that was chosen for you before the creation of the world. He wants you to know that your redemption is something that was chosen for you before you were even born. The Apostle Paul wants the children of God to know that the love of the Father is an eternal love. Have a look at it in Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. The Father loves His children with an everlasting love. Your redemption, our redemption, was chosen for us in the past. Secondly, redemption is present. It is present. The question we then need to ask is, is how does our redemption past come into the future? How does that which was chosen for us before the creation of the world, how does it come into human history? How does it come into time? How does that take place? How do we receive that? How do we get that? How does it work now? How does that which was chosen come into the present? If you've got your Bible, take a look at it in verse 13. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. Now we're going to drill a little bit deep here. When you heard the gospel, when you truly heard it, when you truly believed the gospel of Christ in His death and resurrection, when you truly believed it, your redemption past came into the present. 
Does that make sense? When you believe, when you heard the gospel of Christ, it is then that your chosen redemption comes into the present. Have a look at verse 13 again. Carefully, having heard the word of truth, which is the gospel, you were included in Christ. Which means you were redeemed in Christ. And just to add to that, have a look at Romans 10.17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. If you're a child of God sitting here this morning, in some place, somewhere, when the gospel came to you, when God was acting in power on that gospel, that gospel ignited your dead soul to God. When that gospel came to you with living power, it was the gospel giving you the faith to believe in the redemption that was chosen for you. This is mind-blowing. Let me just look at it this way. Here's Ephesians 2 verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, I know this sounds absolutely extraordinary, but the very faith that you have to believe in, in, in the gospel in Christ, it's a gift of faith. It's not something you had. It's not something you generated. You see, if faith is something that we had or could generate or could exercise, it could be considered a work. And then we could boast that we used our faith and someone else didn't. But the faith we have to believe the gospel and to be redeemed is a gift of God's chosen, lavish grace. Let's just keep going with verse 13 again. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now just look at that little word seal there for a moment. A seal was a mark of ownership and protection. And, and, and in the Roman culture, uh, it was sort of cattle and slaves that were, were sort of branded, like sort of sealed so that they marked the ownership to, to whoever they belonged to. God's seal of permanent ownership and constant protection of His people is the Holy Spirit. I just love the way this guy Richard Koken describes it. He says, The Holy Spirit is like the birthmark of all God's children. That's a great phrase. It's like the birthmark of all God's children. And then he says this. He says, It is though we have all been marked with a spiritual UV marker pen, visible in the heavenly realms, marking us out as those belonging to God, completely safe from all frightening powers. End quote. You know that at the moment of believing the gospel as a gift of grace, you were given the gift of the Holy Spirit to come and take up residence within you. Now look at verse 13 carefully. When you read it in the English translation, it, it, it almost sounds like that when you believe, then you receive the Holy Spirit. But that's not the way the Greek operates. 
These things happen absolutely simultaneously. So let me show you like this. When you hear the gospel, when you hear the gospel and God's bringing your chosen redemption into reality, into the presence, it's all happening as the gospel is coming. It is actually the Holy Spirit that, that, that fills you, that, that makes you alive in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the gift of faith to respond to that which you are hearing. You could even put it like this. When you hear the gospel and God is acting to save you, He gives you the Holy Spirit so that you believe in the gospel. These are, these are truths. These are truths. Redemption is past. That's how it comes into the present. So let's have a look at the redemption which is future. So look at verse 14. You've received the Holy Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So Paul says that that the Holy Spirit is given to us as, as a deposit. It's like the first installment. The Holy Spirit is that guarantee that our redemption that was chosen will fully come to be. The Holy Spirit is, is, the, is the guarantee that we are redeemed and there's also the guarantee that we will be redeemed. His presence within us is the guarantee that the, the full inheritance, the full experience of all that we are as the children of God will come to be. Let me put it to you like this. The Father having sacrificed His Son to purchase us from hell for heaven will ensure that we arrive safely in heaven because He has put His Spirit within us. And it is His Spirit that will always cause us to believe in Christ. Let me give you a summary. We were chosen in the past by the love of the Father to be His redeemed children. That chosen redemption comes to us by faith in the gospel. And the Holy Spirit within us guarantees that we will experience the fullness of redemption in glory one day. So what? What difference does that make? What difference does it make knowing that our redemption is past, comes into the future, comes into the present by the gospel, and is guaranteed for us by the Spirit. What difference does it make? Let me give you a couple of words. Here's the first one. Security. What security? What assurance? to know that our redemption 
is absolutely sure. Our redemption was never dependent on us. It will never be dependent on us. And because our redemption is absolutely in the will, in accordance with God, it is absolutely sure beyond anything that you can know. That's the only reason that Paul can say this, and I think Rob quoted this in, in his prayer in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That cannot be true if we're somehow responsible for that. We just mess it all up every time. If our redemption was anything to do with us, it would never be completed. And we would never, ever, ever be able to stand in the storms of life. Our salvation or our redemption is so, so secure because it is the chosen will of God. And nothing can stop it. Nothing can change it. Nothing can thwart it. Nothing can detour it. Not even the gates of hell can prevent the redemption of God's children. you're a child of God here this morning, would you know just how secure, secure and safe you are in your redemption? Here's the second word. Love. Love. It's a and you may be one of those mums here, and maybe some dads say this, but it's not uncommon to hear a mother say that they've loved their children before they were even born. Child of God, your heavenly Father loved you before you were even born. Before the creation of the world, your Father loved you. chose to create you, chose to redeem you, and chose to give you an inheritance that is beyond anything that you can imagine. And you see, the Father's love for you, it's not fickle, it's not fleeting, it's not changing. The Father's love for you is not dependent on what you do or you don't do. The Heavenly Father doesn't fall out of love with you. His love for you is not merely present. It's not merely now. It was past. It was eternal past. It was before the creation of the world. And therefore, His love for you will always be. It will always be. Right? To the end of glory. And that doesn't end. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul prays this? And we'll get to it in Ephesians not too long from now. Here's how Paul prays. He says, and I pray. He's praying for the church. He says, I pray. 
I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The extent to which you are filled, uh, the extent to which you are filled with the measure of the fullness of God is the extent to which you know the love of the Father before you were born. Security, may you, may you child, child, of, child of God, may you know more and more this morning just how eternally loved you are. Wow. Here's a third word. Trust. Trust. By the, by, by, by uh, Paul, by, by letting us know that God's redemption plan is to redeem His children and it's a past and it's a present and it's a future. Paul wants to bring God's children to a place of greater and greater trust in Him. That even when the whole world is going to pot and even when the whole world is going to COVID pot, it's okay. It's good. The plan's on track. The plan's being executed. COVID hasn't messed anything up. You know, the history of the world is not random. We're not accidents, no matter how our earthly birth came to be. Our lives are not pointless. Everything is being executed according to the will of God on time. And we really can grow in trust of our Heavenly Father. And our anxiety levels can decrease and go down. And our fears can subside because... Our Father's got this. I know it's an old sort of, sort of classical illustration, but if you have a tapestry and you look at the one side of the tapestry and it looks like a what? It looks just like a woven mess. It's all wound and bits and pieces, and you wanting to tug on these things, and it's just you can't you can't make sense of it. And that that's often how we 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 look at life and we look at the world and we look what's going on and. And yet on, on the other side of the tapestry, this, this beautiful, beautiful embroidery or picture of, of whatever it is. That, that's, that's how it's going on the eternal side. That's how it's on the heavenly. That, that's how it's on the, in the heavenly realms. May you know your security. May you know the Father's love. May it be that we grow in faith and trust of our Heavenly Father. And then number four, it's praise. You see, as a child of God, knowing that you're redeemed past, present, future, it's meant to bring us to a, to a stirring of our hearts that we might offer ourselves as those living sacrifices and that we would open our mouths in praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'd open our mouths in adoration. We'd open our mouths in evangelism as we share the gospel. 
when we're feeling sorry for ourselves, when we're going through a difficult time, when we're being persecuted for our faith, we actually have to return to this passage over and over and over and to soak ourselves in the eternal blessings that God has given us in Christ. Why? Have a look at that little phrase at the end of verse 14. To the praise of His glory.